All right. Happy Friday, everyone. And we are live with another episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we are continually exploring the landscape of learning tech while cutting through the fluff. So today I'm joined by Corrine Pagano. I, I made sure I pronounced it right. I even did the, the hand gesture like you told me, so I wouldn't forget. There we go. Uh, and Chris Milligan, and they are from Degreed. And they're joining me today. We are going to be talking about all things related to the skill economy. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting discussion on, on skills, upskilling, reskilling, smart skilling, whatever buzzword you choose to use to describe it. Um, we're going to dig into it. And if you're joining us live, go ahead, give us a thumbs up, share the post, tag somebody in who'd benefit while we're getting started here. Uh, and while you're at it, Go ahead and comment and tell us where you're joining from. We actually have a pretty diverse group this morning. So I'm in always Waukesha, Wisconsin, middle of the U.S., where it is smoking hot. It has been so hot recently here, um, believe it or not. Uh, and so, yeah, that is that is where I am. Kareen, we'll, we'll, we'll do this kind of like top to bottom thing. Kareen, why don't you let us know where you are? Yeah, I'm in uh, Carpinteria, California, which is just outside of Santa Barbara. And it's actually pretty chilly here. So... We okay. we're flipping define, our define chili though. Like sixty-five. Okay. <laughs> in the Midwest, that's that's board shorts and flip-flops <laughs> weather, right? We're getting excited to go out if it's if it's May and it's sixty-five. But that's fair. I suppose in California, sixty-five can be chilly, which is why you're wearing a long sleeve uh jacket. Yeah. Okay. Okay. How about you, Chris? Hi, Chris. I'm in my linen shirt because it's uh it's warm here as well. So I'm in Greece, on the island of Crete, um, in the Mediterranean. So it's 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 good temperature here. Okay. All right. All right. And so, but by your accent, we talked. I I actually didn't ask this before we went live because your accent would tell me Greece is not your native, right? Where you came from? Is that a fair assessment? That's true. I'm an Australian, um, but I live in London. Just to make things more confusing. Okay. Make it. <laughs> so you were from Australia. You live in London, and you happen to be joining us today from Greece. Exactly. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. I, I would expect nothing less. Okay. So icebreaker question before we get into the whole skill stuff. I have not heard the answer to this, so I'm looking forward to it. And I'm going to reverse order this. So we're actually going to go down to Chris first. And for those of you who are watching, comment in and share this. But I want to know what was when you got your newly minted driver's license, what was your very first vehicle? So Chris, you go. So I opted for a four-wheel drive. It was a Toyota Hilux. Um, yeah. And that was a great uh, utility vehicle for the drive-in cinema. So, you know, you put a mattress in the back and a little esky and uh, off you go on your, on your dates as you, with your new driver's license. So it okay. was good. Okay. All right. So four wheel drive. I, I suppose it's, that makes sense. If you were in Australia, I would, I would, it, it fits with my perception, the stereotype that I would expect in Australia. Surfboard also. Exactly. Well. Surfboard, yeah, so. mattress in the back. I, yep. Perfect. Okay. I, while I did not know that, that fits the expectation that I had. Got it. Okay. How about you, Corrine? So I'm I'm from Michigan, so okay. I actually have familiarity with the uh, Midwest, Midwest climate. Although I've lost it now that I'm in California, but um, my first car so had to be a, a Buick. It was a Buick Century, and okay. uh, I had it for a, a full year before I had to share it with my sister, who promptly crashed it and ruined basically the entire car. <laughs> but I had a good year of driving that Buick Century. Okay. All right. All right. So mine, I can, I, I didn't have a cool, right. I wanted a Jeep Wrangler, right. With the, with the soft top or whatever. So a I red would, one, right. It had to be, <laughs> it had to be red. Um, so that's what I wanted. Unfortunately, that isn't what I got. Uh, so when I first got my license, I, my parents were like, you're not getting your own car. So you're going to drive your mom's, which was a Buick, but it was a Buick Riviera. <laughs> she she took magnificent care of it. It had a touchscreen, believe it or not, 1989 Buick Riviera touchscreen. Now, this touchscreen was not like the touchscreen now, but that's what I drove for years. And I loved it so much that when I actually finally bought my first car, I upgraded. I got the 1990 edition of the Buick Riviera. And so I, I hauled around in this Buick Riviera for for a very long time. So I was not as cool as you, Chris. Um, and, and maybe that's why I go by Christopher versus Chris, because I'm not the cool hip guy. But um, yeah, that was that was my first vehicle. 
All right. So let's dig into it. Let's let's transition off the, the car things and, and all the fun stereotypes that we've dove, dove into here. But we're talking about the skills piece. And I want to dig into, um, you know, before we get too far into it, a little bit of the background, because part of this is we're talking about degree and skills. And, and now we've got Adepto into the mix. So let's let's kind of ground things a little bit in terms of what is between the two of you how do you define degree just so people who may not be familiar with it can kind of say okay degree is this and then how does that connect to skills you want to take that Corinne, and i'll talk a bit about it how adepto fits into that and, and sure. what we're doing moving forward yeah um i i think the the definition of of what degree is is evolving and i'm sure chris will get into that as um we start talking about the adepto acquisition and, and how that has shifted our focus but but from a foundational perspective we were a reskilling platform we were a learning mm -hmm. platform and that foundation really was built on how do you help people build skills um and when we talk about like kind of what the problems that we solve for organizations um, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to set you up nicely, Chris. Uh, there's, there's, there's the the balance of what are the the skills that you have within your organization, and then what are the skills that you need within your organization to do the work that needs to get done. And that we we often talk about it as the supply and demand of skills. Okay. That um, degreed historically has been focused on helping you understand the skills that you have, and then specifically helping you build the skills that you need or where you have gaps. And that was where the learning piece came in. And with the acquisition of Adepto, I'm gonna hand it over to Chris, but that's where we've kind of expanded our, our reach in solving for that. Okay, so before Chris, before you jump into the, uh, how does the Adepto then tap into that? I think it's an important clarification to make because at least in the space, a lot of times when people think degree, they think LXP, which LXP yeah. is defined as, I, I actually, the acronym itself to me is just frustrating because it means so many different things to so many yeah. different people. And being an LXP could be something, you could be SharePoint and be an LXP. So really understanding that the focus of degree has always been on skill, you know, understanding skills and developing skills. That really was the core of degree. Okay, yeah. so we've set that up. So yeah. now you say, okay, great. We're we, you know, your skills, you develop your skills. We're we're measuring skills, things like that. Then Adepto comes into the picture, and we say, why, why Adepto? What was Adepto doing that that now took that to the next level? So Adepto was focused on putting skills to work. Um, so we labeled ourselves a, a total talent platform, which was really understanding all of the skills available to the business to get work done. And that was either on your current workforce or your potential future workforce. So building networks of potential employees or contractors. So Adepto really looked at what is the demand for skills in the organization. So we integrated onto the different platforms where work or demand for skill is generated, applicant tracking systems, vendor management systems, and others. And so our focus was really on how do we help businesses find the skills they need at the point of need, whether that's for a full-time piece of work, a project, or a gig, or something else. And so we were partnering with Degree for the last couple of years, um, and a lot of our clients were saying, well, how can we get a better insight into the skills we have? Because our focus was really on the demand. And we couldn't answer for that. So in December, we joined forces um, and the Adepto team became Degreed. And so now it's actually called Degreed Career Mobility. Adepto is, as a, as a brand, no more. Um, yeah. But all of the, the functionality and technology and team exists now within a Degreed suite of products. Um, and so with those capabilities combined, Degreed now offers a view of all of the supply, so the skills that your business has, the gaps that your business has and can push people to develop those. But also with understanding the skills that are needed, we can actually start to really have that cycle completed by saying, okay, well, here are the skills you need to learn. We're actually going to put you on a, a stretch assignment, which is available here, or you've got that skill. Let's reinforce that by undertaking this project or task. Um, so that's how the two capabilities are, are coming together. Um, and, uh, and that happened what nearly six months ago. So it's, um, 
It's amazing how much has happened since, actually. Yeah, I'm actually curious to hear how the journey. We'll, we'll dig into that a little bit because I, I, when we were getting ready for the show, I was actually thinking about. It. I'm like, I know I remember when the announcement came out, and I'm like, when? What? Oh, wow, it's actually been it's been six months now. So it'll be interesting to hear how that's evolved. But it makes sense to me, right? That that you have all this skill data, and this is what we were talking about a little bit before we go live. You know, on the degree, you have the skill data on people, you have this stuff, but what do you do with it? And it, it seems to me that that's where degreed career mobility, right? Is that what it's called? Is yeah. that Okay. Yeah. So right now actually it lets you do that. Now, the one thing though, is that does require us to operate outside the silo of learning and development, because to your point, what you talked about, Chris, that skill data requires us to actually tap into other parts of HR, other parts of the business to actually understand where are those needs? What are those skills? Where do we need to put those skills to work? And those skills aren't all happening within learning and development. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that um, is really important to understand, I think, from our philosophy perspective, but I but I think, you know, when you dig into it, it makes sense. We're developing skills all the time. And it's not just in specific learning context. We're building skills in jobs and opportunities that we're taking advantage of. We're building skills outside of work and our extracurricular activities and thing and development things that we're pursuing on our own. So skills are like this great, awesome, interesting, evolving uh, thing for each individual. And what we're trying to do is provide more insight into organizations about what skills are in that organization, how they're evolving over time, and giving organizations the opportunity to influence the, that evolution either through hiring and staffing or contractors, as, as um, Chris mentioned, or by L&D efforts where you can say, here are initiatives where we need to invest L&D dollars to build skills. Okay. Okay. So I've, I want to dig into that a little bit, but before we do, I let's, let's tap into kind of the problem statement because this skill thing is, has rapidly rocketed to the top of, you know, every conversation I, I'm in and you see it just about everywhere. And granted, I will say, I don't think this is new. I think this has been coming for, for some time. I think now it's just hit a tipping point where organizations can't ignore it anymore. But you know, why, what have you seen as if you've been working with organizations and you're doing this, what's changed that has suddenly really made organizations focus on it? Has there been a change or what's kind of going into this? I think um, there's a combination of things that have happened over over the last, I don't know, five to 10 years, I would say, um, that is different ways of working. So the ability to be more, I get you use the word agile, right? The, the whole on-demand work nature and, and business as usual not being so usual, you know, lots of things becoming project-based automation driving that because a lot of the things that were just day in day out tasks are now being automated um you know remote working and different things actually needing a better understanding of people's capabilities as we start to, to farm work out the speed of the economy and the speed of competition and digitalization actually meaning that companies need to be evolving more quickly and with that comes people needing to evolve their capabilities more quickly um and then technology obviously driving that even further by saying we need to understand what our organization's made up of. And even, you know, the most technology savvy businesses today, they're still people businesses. And so without having a good view on the skills of your business, it's like running, you know, trying to run a, a factory without knowing what the machines are doing or how long they've been running for or what, you know, where are the gaps, what needs to, to be fixed. And then I guess if you put the pandemic in on top of that, it's just a, a boiling pot. Um, and and a things bit. need to happen. It, it just a little bit of, it just threw a little bit of gasoline <laughs> on the fire, maybe. Well, and, and I think just to add on to what you had um, asked Christopher, like the organizations have been thinking about this and trying to solve for this for a long time. And a lot of organizations started with competency models and really big yeah. like you know taxonomies of skills yep. about, right and it, and it was a very top-down um static process 
that usually by the time they completed the process of defining all of those things, it was outdated and not useful to them anymore. And so to, to Chris's point, like what we're seeing is that the, the urgency and the demand of wanting that data is still there. Everybody always knew they wanted it, right? Like yep. how to get it and how to keep it updated and relevant and useful was really a big challenge. Technology is starting to enable us to collect data in different ways now. Um, and really focusing in on what are skills and where is the source of truth and how do you collect, start collecting that data in an ongoing way. So it's not a once and done snapshot. It's a constantly evolving data set that you can then tap into to help you make decisions. That's a good point. It's an important one. And I, it's not a happy point, I think, sometimes for people, right? I see it all the time, whether it's tech, whether it's talent strategy, things like that. People want the like, so what's the thing we do? And then and then we're done. And the reality with that is that answer is you're not ever. You know, you're going to do this and then it's going to change and it's going to evolve, which to your point, historically, was onerous when you did this manual. I mean, if you were trying to do this through traditional means, it it, it did make you want to quit because you're just like, we just finished this two year long project. And now yeah. everything we just did is completely irrelevant. And we're starting over. And I do think technology has helped yeah. speed that up and help us to move a little bit quicker. On the skill side, though, I am curious about this, because this is a problem that I've seen over the years that I'm curious how you're how you're at least working with this is you look at some of these competencies or you look at some of these broader skill sets, they're very ethereal, right? They're, 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 they're really up here of, okay, we need people to have this, but actually knowing what that looks like in terms of the ability to execute against that, or how do you define, we need good communicators. Wow. I mean, that is a very broad, you know, communication skills is a core competency of this job. Yeah, great. But like, how do you, so how do you actually then look at that and bring that down another level to say, okay, from a skill standpoint, that's great if people all have these very high level skills, but if we don't actually know what that looks like, because yeah. you could be a great communicator, but you might be a terrible digital communicator, which we saw with COVID, right? Exactly. We had people who maybe were good communicators. Suddenly now they're not in front of people. Not yeah. so good anymore. So how, how does that work? Yeah, it's a really great, great question. And it's one of those things that we're still working on solving across all the different parameters. Honestly, yeah. because when you say the word skill, and, and I say this from a person whose title is VP of skills, <laughs> <laughs> like skills is kind of a meaningless word. <laughs> Sorry, but it, it, it kind of is only because we don't have a common shared understanding of what is a skill. Like right. if you ask someone what a skill is, you're gonna get a whole different range and flavors of answers. And to your point, like some of them are very broad kind of general things like communication. Um, some of them are very specific, like a coding language or right, like very technical. Right. And so we've started to look at how do you break down or look at the subsets of that big bucket of skills. What are the, what are the areas that people look at? And there are some um, generally accepted kind of categories of skills. One are soft skills, higher order skills, like things that are relevant out like in any context. So communication is a good one. Um, intercultural competencies, conflict uh, resolution, problem solving, uh, critical thinking, a whole bunch of things that are kind of applicable in almost any job that you have. Yeah. And there are some more context specific skills or, or job skills or things that technical skills that are relevant to a particular task that you need to complete. Okay. And those things often need to be looked at together, but they're different types of skills. How do you measure them? Well, our philosophy is, is that there's kind of um, different ways of measuring skills. Um, we And we look at different parameters of data sets and aggregate that together to pull together a picture of your full skill set. So one is content knowledge, or what do you know about this thing? Um, but the second one, and I think this is this actually gets to your point, is the behavioral assessment. Like, how do you actually apply this knowledge in context. Um, and that behavioral assessment often, um, it confuses folks because we are not used to assessing people's behaviors. No. 
we're used to assessing people's knowledge. And our tools focus on behavioral assessment. And so that looks very different than a typical content knowledge assessment. Now, does that mean content knowledge isn't relevant? No, it absolutely is. And the analogy I often use is um, a football coach versus a football player. They mo both may be experts in football, but how they apply that knowledge is very different in the context of their job. And so those are the types of things that we are looking at from a skilled data perspective to give organizations more deeper insight into when we say we want you to understand the skills that you have, okay. you have to know the behavioral side. You also have to know um, the content side and how those pieces come together. And then the other layer is context, like what experiences have you had and where have you actually been able to, able to apply this? So if you're a graphic designer um, and you've only worked in marketing, how many of those skills then transfer over if you were to work on a development team and start to do um, okay. development in a website, right? Like how, like there's some of those skill sets will transfer, but there may be some skill gaps to allow you to move from one type of role into another, even though both are applying graphic design skills or design skills. So those yeah. are the, I could, well, I like, I actually like the breakdown of that. No, but I like the breakdown of that because typically yeah. I think in L&D, a lot of times, and this is where we talked about, right, getting out of the L&D box. Yeah. A lot of times we focus on the knowledge and the behavior side. And I would say we've over-indexed on the knowledge side for, for a very long time where it's like, okay, well, do people know things? That's great. But if they don't know what to do with it, it really doesn't matter. So it's not to your point about saying, well, that's not valuable. It's, Two, how do we get better at actually assessing the behavior and knowing, okay, that's what do they also know how to do in addition to what do they know? I think the context piece is probably now another layer that we're adding on top of it that probably makes this even more challenging, at least, or, or one of the things that we're going to have to step into as a field is to say, okay, now you need to also understand what things are, like you said, transferable because there is a learning curve. You may be a great graphic designer in marketing, but now if you move over to, I mean, L and D's, you know, starting to consume graphic designers, you have to understand that there is an, a, a gap that you're going to have to overcome. It'll be faster than somebody that hasn't done any, that doesn't have any of the knowledge or the behaviors, but we can't ignore the fact that that gap still exists. Yeah, exactly. So as you were bringing these two together, and I'm curious, this one's a little bit directed at you, Chris, because I have to imagine, and I and I know just having looked at corporate data sets, the stuff isn't always nice and clean, right? Everybody doesn't have these nice skills mapped out. They don't have all this stuff. And sometimes even when you say, what skills do you want? It's met with a little bit of a deer in headlights look. So how, when you were doing that, you know, were you actually helping kind of organize that into something? Because I have to imagine there had to be some sort of data consolidation as you brought the two together. Yeah. So I'll talk to how we were solving it with Adepto and then Green, maybe you want to talk to how that kind of feeds in because of the Greed's approach, which has kind of solved for that. So um, with Adepto, we were helping people to understand their skills through really um, understanding the global data set of skills, so using the best best efforts we could to understand. And that was a locked taxonomy. So we weren't actually allowing people to add skills in as they were becoming um, developed. And that was really because we just didn't at that time have the, have the bandwidth as a company to be doing that because there was a lot of technology innovation that needed to go into that. So we would understand people's skills based on self-assessment, um, based on, you know, looking at their, their LinkedIn, their resume, those types of things. Um, and then we would use some AI to be able to say, here are skills you probably also have if you have these. Um, how we then helped organizations with that was a hybrid approach. So we would let the businesses we were working with upload their own taxonomies, which would sit okay. alongside that so that we could index across both. Because although we all know they're kind of antiquated and, and static models are out of date as soon as you've created them, the fact is they still underpin a lot of business processes. Um, and so we needed to be able to to work with that. But as we took all of those bits of technology into Degree to become Degree Career Mobility, um, we're now leveraging what Degree have there. I'll, I'll let Kareen talk to that. Yeah, um, and and Chris kind of mentioned um, the AI component of this, right? Because most organizations don't have um, here are all the jobs we have and all the skills that are related with those jobs. And it's <laughs> right? all nice and clean. 
integrate, oh, we'll just integrate with wherever that data is and pull, that just doesn't exist. Um, and so one of the things that we've been working very hard on is understanding what are the skills that that are that hit the 80% mark of most businesses care about the set of skills to have a, a base taxonomy. And, and we have been able to analyze across multiple different data sets of jobs data, what those skills are as a, as a baseline. So if a company comes to us and says, we have no idea where to start, help us, <laughs> which happens a lot, um, we can come in and say, based on all of the analysis of the customers we worked with and all the data sets we've analyzed, here's here's a really good starting point for you to build from. Um, but two things happen from that point. And if they have a data set, great, integrate it in. To Chris's point, if you've got it, let's use it. Okay. But the, the difference in how we're approaching it is that we know that that data is constantly changing. So learners and end users themselves can enter in their own skills if it's a skill that's not currently part of the taxonomy, then we start to collect that data to say like, oh, this is a new skill. Is this specific to this organization or is this an emerging skill that you should be paying attention to? So from an organizational perspective, you can see the skills that are starting to enter in to your organization and evaluate whether those skills are something that you wanna start focusing in on and officially add to the taxonomy. Okay. The second is that you can start to see the skills that are going away <laughs> um, and what skills aren't being used in your organization. You can correlate those skills with the job roles and titles of the folks within your organization. So you can start to build the connection points between people in these roles typically have these skills. Um, and it's all as we're collecting more data, we can paint that picture for you of actually what are the skills that are used in different roles instead of you saying, starting from like, hey, we're just going to map this all out. What if we just asked everyone, <laughs> what skills do you have? What skills do you use? Right. What are your peers saying about you? What is, are your managers saying about you? Like, what skill data do we have about the work that you're doing? We're integrating with other um, workflow systems and collecting data about activities you're completing. The um, opportunity data that we're collecting from the career mobility product is also like its gigs, its projects, its stretch assignments. It's not necessarily just full-time positions. Okay. You can track all of that, right? Like what skills are you developing in those opportunities? Collect feedback from your peers that are working with you. Collect feedback from your supervisor that's managing that project. Now we're getting a really robust picture of the skill sets, how it maps across the organization to those jobs and we're seeing the patterns as it's changing over time. So it allows us to really have a dynamic picture of your organization. And then you can look at it and do the analysis and say, is this what we expected? Are there gaps? Um, are there areas in particular that we wanna collect more data because we feel like we don't have enough yet? Um, and those are the conversations that usually we start to have with organizations after they've done a first pass. Okay. Uh, data collection is like, what do you see? How close is it to what you expected? Are there more data? Is there more data you need to collect? How can we help you do that? Yeah. Um, so, so that's kind of the evolutionary process that that we're implementing now to help prevent some of that top down. We don't want stale yeah. data, right? Like that's that's really the goal. Well, and and so I have a couple follow up questions, but the thing about it, and I think this is one of the things that sometimes is not the happy news or the hard news is a lot of times when it comes to this upscaling stuff, we may have had data on what we thought we had or what we thought we'd hired to, but we really didn't have data on what we actually had or what are people really doing. And so th there's a runway on that, that you have to kind of plan for if you're, if you're really focusing on upscaling to say, there's a, there's a runway where we have to plan to actually assess what's out there and do this. We can't just jump to, well, how do we just bring everybody up here? Because if you don't know what you have now and where those things exist, you, you can't really make smart decisions. And I see that a, a consistent opportunity area where people are kind of trying to jump to the solution versus saying, well, we need to actually dig into that. But, and I like the democratization of it, right? Because I think sometimes we do this as, well, this is what we think the jobs should look like or what people need to be successful. And we don't take the time to go ask the people who are actually really doing it to say, what is it that you actually spend your time doing? Like, what is it that makes you so successful at this? We, we do it up here. So that said, 
there's the risk. So I am curious, you talked about people have the ability to kind of self-select like, well, this is one of those skills. I see that as extremely powerful, but at the same time opens the door to risk because you know, we as business L&D talent leaders sometimes don't understand skills. You start going to the general populace and say, so what skills is it that you, you know, make you good? And that's dangerous territory. So how do you manage that not just creating chaos? Yeah, there's there's a couple ways. One is our AI algorithms are relational. Okay. Um, and so the foundation of our data, data sciences is not uh, pattern matching. It's okay at what are the relationships between skills and clusters of skills and how they connect to each other. So if someone adds something in that seems like off the wall, but we can look at the pattern of how that skill then relates to other skills in the skill graph, then that helps us look for outliers versus patterns. Um, and so there, and there's filters and obviously administrative things built within. <laughs> it's not just a free for all for the right. users. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not a free for all. You, you, you absolutely have some control over <laughs> the taxonomy, but it does allow for that real time kind of ongoing ability to get insight into what people are doing, applying what skills they believe that they're building. And it gives you access to a data point that you never really did before, um, which is going to, and where I think the interesting kind of connection is, this is this is intended to be a handshake between the individuals and the organization, just like work is, right? Like yep. I'm coming in with my skills and abilities to help you get things done. And as an organization, you have goals and visions and objectives of things you're trying to accomplish. So how do you start fitting people into that vision? And how do I, as an individual, fit into that vision? What skills do I bring into that equation to, to help? You need both sides. You need the organizational lens of what are the skills that we need and agreement that these are the things that you're looking for. So managers being able to say, here are the skills that I would expect my team to have or the skills that are most important to the team members on my team, that's a, an important viewpoint. There's the higher level HR, L&D kind of executive level of what are the skills we need to be successful as a business and do we have them? And then there's the individual view. And what I think we really are focused on is we don't want to leave anyone out of this conversation, right? Like the employees have their 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 lens and their skills and their data points that they can bring to the conversation, managers and, and folks that are doing mentoring, coaching, et cetera, they have their lens of things that are important to them. And then the executive level view of like, or org view lens, how do we bring those three together in a way that everyone's getting access to the data they need to make the decisions for themselves. Okay. And, and I do a, a presentation on skills, which we're not presenting today, but it talks about how- Don't surprise me with that. No, here's a 20 minute presentation, <laughs> but it's, but the, the preface that I give to that presentation is that as we look at the problems to solve for an organization, we are looking at it from each of those persona views. Like what does the org need? What do managers and leaders need? And what do employees need? And I think that is the critical piece of making this system work is you, it can't only be focused on one point of view. It has to bring all of them together. Okay. Okay. So, I want to shift a little bit, but I think it's still related, um, you know, because Chris, this ties to the putting it to work that you mentioned before. Um, and I think this is, it's a much needed thing, not only for organizations, I see it as a need for organizations to say, hey, we, we've got these gaps, we need to fill them, we need to be able to, you know, meet this demand. But I see, you know, on the on the human centric side of things, that's a huge area for people to feel like they're growing and developing and they're putting their skill, right? What's the incentive behind this for me? So I'm developing these skills or I have this stuff. So what? Because the risk to organization, that's a talent risk. If you don't capitalize on that, you run the risk of people going somewhere to find somebody who actually does appreciate what they bring to the table. So I have to imagine part of this from a talent mobility standpoint, you know, what is that user experience like, or how does this tap into the user experience to say, yes, we're collecting all this information. We're actually helping you assess your skills and build your skills. But how does it help the end user see how to put that to, it put it to work? Yeah, absolutely right. the The incentive for people to go and learn these skills has, you know, we think been been missing a little bit, and people aren't 
firstly doing it for the fun of it. It's because they want to progress or develop, and that could be helping to see another opportunity laterally in the organization. That could be seeing a career path and getting a map of what skills they should be developing. So what we're trying to do is to put right in front of people where they're used to coming into degree, now saying, here are the opportunities available to you based on the skills that you're learning, the skills that you have, and where you want to get to into the future. And those different opportunities could be anything from a stretch assignment, which is you know purely learning-based, or a project or a gig around, you've just acquired these new skills, put these to work. Um, obviously, the full-time type of mobility is is also something just as valuable for the organization as the individual and historically those opportunities have been very hidden right there might be a system where you can go on the day you're annoyed with your current manager to go and find you know that that job that may be posted in the internal site but you, you know you're probably going to leave by that point what we want to do is actually get ahead of that and provide individuals with a way that they can demonstrate their abilities to everybody in the organization uh, and democratize a little bit. Again, we don't want that to be a free-for-all. We don't want people going all over the place. There needs to be some organization governance and, and process around that. But for the most part, I'm, I'm hidden as an employee. You know, yep. My manager knows who I am. My team knows who I am. Maybe my manager wants removed. Um, but other than that, you know, I, I, I want to be able to be seen and, and find what opportunities I could apply my skills to. For the organization, um, it's obviously beneficial to keep people engaged. And we know there's a, an ROI case for that. We know it costs, you know, one and a half times somebody's salary to replace them. And we know that lack of opportunity is a, is a big reason that people leave businesses. And so that's one area. Uh, and then also just the efficiency gain, um, because we know also that people maybe have some extra capacity or there's skills that they want to be working on um, or opportunities that they'd be more interested to progress on. So if we can open that up, it's really just a big maths problem, right? If we can match the yeah. demand to the supply, the better we understand our supply, the better we can match that demand. Um, and so really what we want to do is start with, with that individual and, and the data set, which is why it was so exciting for us to, to join with Degree with that data set um, yeah. and the usage that then generates that information for people. Well, because, I mean, you look at what happened with, with the whole pandemic crisis. To me, this was this was a huge opportunity for this kind of thing where organizations may have been looking, and, and I've worked in them, I've been part of them, where part of the business was getting crushed and another part was just thriving. And the big gap was we didn't have any visit. You don't have any visibility into that talent set. And so people end up leaving, right? They get, they get riffed out, they get moved on instead of saying, Hey, this is here, but we know this talent set exists. We can just mobilize this talent set. And instead of having to try and recruit, bring people from the outside, we can actually move people around to be a little more agile as a business versus saying, well, this division's not doing so well, so we just need to to cut back there. Despite the fact, hey, exactly. here, it's it's huge. I have to imagine the and other then, one. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say it's absolutely it's you know the build, buy, borrow that HR's talked about for, forever. Obviously, we're looking to build as much as possible, um, but. In any business environment, what we're trying to do is give the organisation visibility to then make those decisions. You know whether. The business is contracting. We can figure out who has the right skills to put into the right places, whether it's growing. If we have understanding of all of the skills of our organization and the level of those skills, and we can deploy them you know, on demand, there should be no business opportunity that that company can't pursue. If we think about divestments, what skills do we need in each organization? If we think about mergers, okay, imagine if we need the skills across both businesses coming together. It's really just about having the information. I think a lot of businesses have unfortunately been, you know, flying blind for the most part. Right. Flying blind or operating off gut feel, you know, well, I think this is what we really need or what, what we need to do. I have to imagine another one, you know, going again, thinking up, up from learning to, to the more talent standpoint is even from a recruiting standpoint. I mean, I, I think for, on the recruiting end, not only one are you going to be able to better hire candidates based on, okay, hey, this is the actual skills it takes to be successful in a job, but I look even on the recruiting side, how many times I've had a great candidate or I've, I've recruited somebody. We spent a ton of time and money, right? Bringing someone along and then 
this opportunity is not the right one, or I have two great people. And then the one, the one goes off, right? The one goes off because, well, I didn't know it was a black hole. I didn't know there were other opportunities that we could have connected this person and brought the talent into the organization. Yeah. And the other thing I love about the degree, you know, deployment and launches and successful customers is that that manager engagement, right? Because if you think about recruitment, at the end of the day, recruiters are servicing the person who needs to get the work done, which is the hiring manager. And so what we want to do is put, for the most part, that insight into the hiring manager's hands so that they can very quickly get the right skills, um, provide those opportunities. And some businesses will be centralized and everything will run through a recruitment team and others will be more de decentralized. And we want to cater to both of those. But that that visibility um, for those who need to get work done is key because so, so often, you know, I was talking to, to one um, telco customer and only about 16% of the jobs that are generated in that organization ever make it to the recruiting team or the applicant yeah. tracking system, which is great. Uh, but other organizations are, are a lot higher than that because that's just the standard, oh, we need to hire someone, all right, go and post a job. It's very difficult to look within. Well, and it makes sense because it is hard to look within, right? If you don't have this data set, if you don't have this data on your people, it does make it really hard. And the people that come to mind are going to be the people within your, right, your social circle. And, and that may be it, which we, we don't need to go down this path too far, but that is where you open the door for, for bias and things like that. Because again, you, you're just perpetuating a cycle of, well, I just operate off of what I know. And unfortunately, probably what you know is limited to the world around you versus, well, how do I actually make decisions based on, on data that's, that's broad and, and safe versus just kind of, well, this is what I'm comfortable with and what I think. And so I'm going to make a decision on that. Yeah, I, I, I want to spend two seconds on yeah, that. Yeah, let's do it. One of the things that I'm most proud of and how we're approaching the, the skill data piece and, and looking at skill profiles in particular and how we're matching them to opportunities and, and what you mentioned around as we're introducing new data, are we reinforcing biases or are we helping to overcome biases in data, yeah. right? Like the data is neutral, but how we leverage it is not. <laughs> and one of the things that we've seen a lot in um, other organizations that are leveraging skill data to do opportunity matching is that they say, here's the profile that we're, we're looking for, um, like, or here's what good looks like for this role find all the people who most closely match to that role. And while we can do that, that's actually not what we do. <laughs> yeah. Because we know that diverse teams are more effective. Yep. We know that understanding the skill sets that you already have and where gaps exist help you identify, like maybe I already have really strong members of my team who are good at these things, but there's another thing they're not good at. If you're only doing pattern matching, Yep. Then you're just replicating. You're you're doing the the paper doll um, problem, right? Like you're you're creating like a you're whole creating thing. an echo chamber. You're creating an echo chamber. We actually know that companies don't want that. So when you look at like how AI can be leveraged for good versus not so good, you really want to dig into like are they just doing a simple pattern match where they're saying, "Tell me all the candidates that look like X." Or are they saying, let's look at the team we have, let's look at the gaps that we have, let's identify the profiles or the types of skills that we wanna fill and then be able to evaluate. I mean, that's the relational model, right? Like now that you have data that isn't cookie cutter and you can say, hey, I've got three strong candidates, one stronger in design, one stronger in project management and one stronger in marketing, right? Yep. Like where are the gaps on my team to help flesh out and make my team more round, well-rounded? And I think those are the types of things that we can help organizations solve for as we get more skill data. And I mean, that's my, like if I have a soapbox that I'm, <laughs> from a data perspective, I don't want us to, to replicate the problems that we know we already have. Exactly. And they, and it's a fair risk to call out, right? Yeah. Because if we say, if we say, Hey, Kareen is really great at this job. Find me 10 more Kareens. Yeah. You're going to end up with 10 more Kareens, which actually isn't the diverse team you actually need to be successful. You need, but to do that, you actually have to know, okay, so, so it sounds like 
where I don't know if it's here yet or where it's going or continuing to go is to say, okay, we're not just pattern matching a Kareen and saying, okay, let's find a million of other those things. But what are the skills that actually complement and balance that and bring different perspective to it so that instead of having a team that's all amazing at doing one thing, yeah, but actually they're not that amazing because they actually are all looking at things exactly the same, you're actually balancing it, correct? Absolutely. I mean, if you look at sales, there are people that have different strengths in sales. It doesn't mean that one type of sales profile is better or worse than another. It means that they have different strengths and weaknesses, but you could have a very different scale, sales skill set or different personalities or different traits that they bring to those roles that help round out a really robust and successful sales team. It's the same in any department, right? Like, right? It's the same in any team. It's the same. And, and so being able to say, we're not going to tell you that everybody has to look like Kareen. We're going to tell you Kareen's successful in her role. Here's what, here's her strengths, but here's her weaknesses. Do you have somebody who does really good data visualization? Cause that's not Kareen's strength, right? right? There's, there's things that we can tell you to help you round out your team to be competitively successful in the market rather than saying you're going to create a whole bunch of paper. Dollars. Well, and bringing the external data helps benchmark because, right. I mean, it, it, there's no shortage of personal bias that people Well, I think this is what makes our team great. And it's like, well, maybe, but is that actually the case? And let's actually compare that to other data because there's you, everybody has blind spots that you're not going to see and go, you know what? Ah, I guess I didn't think about that. Or this actually would bring, would bring value to the team. So, you know, I think, I think Sharon's point's really good, right? Is it's it's not the idea of just replicating the same thing you're doing over and over, but the data and the skill data is actually helping us make it better on the other end, which I think is an important factor, you know, regardless. With that, um, there was one other there was one other point I was going to make about that because I think it is a really important it is a really important factor, but again, it has to be taken carefully, and I think those are good questions to dig into. Uh, for people who are kind of going into this skill data is how are you doing this in a way that's actually building a stronger team versus creating more of the same? Oh, this, this sales situation is an easy one to focus on because you may have, right, the very aggressive, the great closer, the, the very outgoing, gregorious salesperson that may work in certain situations, but there may be other situations where that will have a polarizing effect yeah. to to a potential customer. So I think that balance is key, which is why, I mean, the data is all showing. Diverse teams perform exponentially yeah. better than than universal teams. So on that though, let's that's a that's a fundamental shift, I think, for a lot of organizations, right? That's a fundamental shift for leaders. That's a fundamental shift for just the way organizations operate to think of talent as not, you know, in a box you know, you're here, you do this, this is all you do. And, and we don't necessarily want you going other places for managers. It requires managers saying, Hey, you know what? I need to think differently. And I actually need to know what my team does and what their strengths are. And how do I actually shift the work and the things that we're doing to play to people's strengths versus just saying, well, I need, I need 10 Koreans just to go out and take care of all this. So I don't really have to think about anything. How have on both ends, because I have to imagine you know, you have that on the degreed side. I know the democratization of that has had to have been there, but even on when when it was still adepto and probably continues with career mobility, you're dealing with that with with that. How do you work with organizations on that? Because that is a big shift. Yeah, so I'll talk about the career mobility side first. Um, it's always important to tie whatever we're doing to the messaging or, or the why that's behind that, right? And, and not every business will have the same driver for this type of approach. Um, so understanding what that is and then focusing in on that, you know, it could be the case as a, an IT services firm that has a very stovepipe mentality when it comes to accounts. So the inefficiencies there are when one customer gets really busy, people are kind of segmented to another account and therefore can't solve the customer problem as quickly as possible. And they have to go through all these internal checks and balances to, to mobilize skills. And that has a direct revenue hit to that business. And so focusing on that, we're very um, uh, acutely aware of some of the, the, I guess the change management that needs to happen in the organization and our customer experience team will work alongside 
saying, look, here are the messagings, here are the ways to get managers comfortable with this if they haven't been used to this before. We want to show some early successes, prove the ROI that this makes sense. Other organizations who may be more um, used to, you know, collaborating or, or staff moving around and likes professional services. And for them, it's really around how can we improve the customer experience by understanding the skill sets at a, at a deeper level and recognizing that people, as you said, don't do the same thing day in, day out. They actually move and shift into the different work as it comes up. And so what's important is representing what that skill is. Um, and so the way that we're re really looking to try to approach everything we're doing is tying it to the business objective rather than saying, you know, career mobility is a nice thing to do. While that may be true, it, yeah. it really needs to fit into whatever that business strategy is at, at that point in time. So, Kareen, I'll let you jump. I think the, the one thing I would just tack onto that to really reinforce is that language is so important, Chris. I mean, I think to people who are watching this, right, so often we kind of approach this stuff from the, right, talent mobility is great. That's really good. Instead of necessarily tying it to, no, and here's on the business side, the impact you're going to see as a result of it. We can't always just use this kind of, you know, kumbaya language because it doesn't always resonate with the, with the business leaders. Go for it, Green. Jump in on it. Yeah. It, the one thing I was thinking just as, as Chris was talking, and this is gets back to the employee, what's in it for me side of things, which um, there, there's a couple things I think we hear from organizations that, that are signaling big culture changes within those organizations. One is that um, we do get companies that say, oh my gosh, if we start marketing opportunities, then my employees are going to leave my team, right? <laughs> like, or my best employees are going to leave my team. And, um, and so that's a, that is a culture shift and a mentality shift, I think, for a lot of managers to think about, like, I'm going to hire good people, I'm going to grow those good people, and then those good people are going to want to go work someplace else. And, um, and the reality is they will go work someplace else, whether or not you want, you want them to or not, it's happening. <laughs> and I, I'm saying that kind of flippantly in this context, but it's what's playing in my head when people say that is that if your attitude is like that you own someone or that you're going to limit their development, then they're going to leave anyway. They'll, they will realize that, right? So this is an opportunity for you to help encourage and grow and keep people in your organization. And that shift is hard. I mean, we can talk about it very casually here, but it is a hard shift. It can be underestimated. Right? Like it, it is a powerful force of people not necessarily wanting to lose their best people. It is human nature <laughs> that we want our, our best people to stay and, and continue to work and be successful with us. Um, and I think what we're starting to see is that just market demands and, and the way that people are working now and the average tenure at companies and everything is starting to shift for Keep your keep your good people in your organization to help your organization grow as long as possible. And whether that's on your team or not, um, that's a huge shift. The other shift is that a lot of companies are looking at the career mobility product not as like I'm going to change from one job to another job or one team to another team, but that there are projects and stretch opportunities and coaching and mentoring opportunities and a lot of of organizations have very matrixed work styles now. People are working on an initiative or a project for a year or so at a time and being able to like advertise and market and say, hey, we're spinning up a team to work on X and here's the skill sets that we need to, to flesh out that team. Um, that data doesn't exist today, but it's not really stored anywhere. So it's creating kind of a, a culture shift in thinking about how do we think about the work that we do um, maybe I stay with my manager for five years, but I'm working on five different projects with five completely different teams. So it's not even necessarily about losing a person. It's about allocating the people to the right the right places to keep them engaged. I find that super exciting because my style of work is I you know I have professional ADHD. I joke that like I <laughs> I want to constantly be doing something new, but I don't necessarily want to change my job or my role. And if I'm working with a manager I love, I don't want to necessarily leave. So we can help enable those types of things. But it's a huge culture shift. It is a huge change, and some companies have led with the matrixed work pieces, but don't have that 
how do we make those opportunities available piece, which we can help with. Um, and then other companies are just starting to think about what does it look like to do matrixed work and like have people work across the, the different parts of the organization. Okay, last piece yeah. for me. We focused a lot on skill data highlighting gaps, yep. right? like that we can help organizations see what skills don't exist. On the employee side, as you start to say, hey, there's all these opportunities available for me in my organization through the career mobility product that I'm accessing through Degreed, what are my strengths? How do I market my strengths and not highlight the, the gaps or the weaknesses? Right. And how do I say, hey, I'm a great candidate for this role because here are the things that I can bring to the table. So we're actually shifting. Our, historically, Degreed has focused on skill gaps because we've been focused on how do you close them through learning. With the talent product, now we're saying, okay, great. In career mobility, here's your strengths. Here's how you can market yourself. Here's how you can talk about what you're good at and see how your strengths map to opportunities in the organization. That's a shift for us at Degreed to say, like, here's the gap side, but also here's the strength side. And let's have both of those conversations. Okay. Well, that I, I'm, I'm glad you made that clarification and additional kind of piece because it is important, right? Y yes, there's gaps. And yes, we want to close gaps. But I personally would say just from my experience and even just as I've built teams, actually pushing people to focus on their strengths in many regards almost has a higher outcome, right? Because it's like, well, they're already good at this. Let's take advantage of that instead of spending a bunch of time going, well, here's this thing you're not so good at and you're really terrible at and you don't really like doing. Let's try and make you at least pretty good at that versus saying you're crushing it over here. How do we get you to spend more of your time doing that instead of just trying to fill the gap? So I think it's it's an important clarification that goes back to engagement, retention. I mean, I think you hit on the thing too, where We'd like to think that our people are, even the ones reporting to us, they're they're 100% focused on the things we're doing. But in the matrix environments we're in, they're all over the place. And that's actually a retention strategy versus a, oh, no, they're going to leave. If you're a really good boss, they're going to want to stay with you as long as they have the flexibility to go do other things. So I think it's a, it's a valuable ad. We've only got a couple. I told you we were going to run out of time. Of course. I told you. So unless you have the rest of the day booked, which we probably could just you know, keep going. My last question is, um, and, and it hit this at a very high level, because I think what one thing that this has shifted a little bit, especially with the kind of integration of the two is where you're playing in the tech ecosystem now has, has evolved, right? I think before it was a very clear, distinct, like, okay, and this is the box we fit in. And I, I really think you treaded in multiple boxes anyway before, but now you, you've really kind of blown the walls off <laughs> off those boxes. Is that fair? I mean, where would you say you play now? <laughs> Big question, I know. No, it's so, you know, we, we kind of went from a single product offering to multiple product offerings. Okay. A little bit why it's, it's a tricky question to answer. Okay. Um, where do we play? I think from my perspective, and of course... <laughs> I am the VP of skills. So of course I'm going to say this, but how I would define like where we're heading is a platform that allows you to see and, and have visibility into the skills you have and the skills that yeah. you need. Right. And that every, all of our products are then extensions of how can you leverage that skill data okay. to improve processes across L and D and HR. And I, I think, Today, the two main use cases we're solving for are learning and internal mobility. Okay. That certainly could evolve as our products evolve and as skill data becomes more widely accepted within organizations. You mentioned recruiting earlier, which we're not actively addressing today, but is it a natural extension of, I know the skills I have and the skills I need? Of course, right? Like there are other areas of the business that um, workforce planning, like lots of different areas that uh, that skilled data can help inform and um, help organizations make smarter, better decisions. So I would say that to me is the place we're okay. playing. Chris, well, I mean, I the underpinning of it is if skills is the foundation, if it's the frame that what yeah. you've built on top of it is, there, it opens a lot of doors, but I think it, it at least helped me kind of clarify, okay, but what are maybe the two big areas that you're playing in today? 
will that evolve? I'm sure. Cause if skills are the currency that you're operating on, if that's your, you know, if that's your coding language underneath it, that, that can go in a lot of different ways. Anything you'd add, Chris, before we, before we wrap? I'd only add on that we're always going to recognize that that data is going to come from other sources. And okay. so whether it's demand data, supply data, or any other data, we're always going to be an open, open ecosystem and integrating in with, with all the other technologies that the customer has. Okay. So instead of taking the, it's, it's a good clarification, instead of taking the, we're trying to build the new panacea that everybody has to, the goal is to still remain the, we want to be the, the system that connects other things. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, this has been fun. I could continue this for a long time, um, but I appreciate you both being here from from the other side of the world and from the other side of the country. Uh, this was a fun discussion. I hope you got a lot out of it. Um, I hope everybody watching has a much better idea of one, the whole skill space, but also where degrees going and what degrees doing with things. So thanks everybody for being here. Um, thank you both for being here. I hope you have a fantastic weekend and we will see you all next week.